Good morning. It's always a pleasure to be back at City Church. Uh, it's always a little scary, but it's always good. Some of you know me. I know some of you. I know there's many of you I don't know, and that's what makes this beautiful. Uh, yeah, we just had the men's retreat, and it was just an opportunity for us as guys to get together. And, and the theme for this last weekend was a call to greatness. And I can't recap everything because uh, we have to be mindful of time here. Uh, by the way, I'm going to try to get through everything in, in this message. If I don't, Tom said second service is like wide open. So just, just come back for that, and then there's just no barriers. We can go right into the worship and prayer night tonight. So <laughs> We're going to recap all sessions from the men's retreat uh, after this. There's no, there's no more brewers. There's no packers today, right? So w- w- we have nothing to do in Wisconsin. Uh, so it was a call to greatness, and uh, a big part of that, that was just something that came to my heart as, as Derek and, and, uh, and my dad asked me to come speak, and yeah, that phrase just said, coming back to me, coming back to me. I want to be great. I want to be great. And, and I, I think that that is like a very common phrase, whether we as men say it or not. I want to be great. I want to believe that I'm a great man. I want to believe I'm a great husband. I want to believe I'm a great father. But it goes beyond that, right? Like, it's for any of us, right? Late, how many of you ladies would say, I, I want to be a great woman, and it, right? I want to be a great wife. I want to be a great mother. And, and, and I think there's something within, I don't, I don't know, maybe you've never experienced it, maybe you have. It's almost like this subtle message within the church that says, no, 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 don't, don't say you want to be great, right? Because that's, that's kind of cocky. That's arrogant, right? Like, don't try to be great. Try to be nice. And, and try to be humble. Right? And as soon as you say you want to be great, well, I'll, I'll, I'll humble you by showing you all of your errors and then <laughs> kind of put you back in your place. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away that cry. It doesn't take away that desire. I really want to be great. And so even though I said that this is the last session for our men's retreat, and I am going to be kind of shining the spotlight on us as men, this is for all of us, right? I want to be great. The first session we talked about great men show up. Great men show up. In other words, great men don't hide. It means that there are real fights in our lives. Not just like fights with our spouses, because we don't have those. Uh... But there's like real things. There are real things that we need to face in life. And for some of us, it's, th- it's stuff that we need to look back and face from our past because we realize it's affecting my present. And we just never faced it. Real men show up. I love that. Real men show up. Real men are present. Real men are available, right? Like great men are the ones that they're not perfect. This isn't like a call to perfection, Right? There's a difference between a call to perfection and a call to greatness. What I mean by a call to greatness is that I'm going to do everything in my power and everything in my ability to live with Christ-like character the way that he's called me to in every sphere of my influence. That's what I mean by a call to greatness. Our second session is, was just trying to be a practical lesson on it. Like, how, how do I do... Like, over and over again as a pastor, I know I haven't been a pastor for that long, but as a, as a pastor and a discipleship pastor... So many people ask, like, okay, so can you, is there just like a list? <laughs> like, am I supposed to start in Genesis and then figure out how to live a life of faith? Can you just sum it up? Is there just a list, like a real easy checklist, like this is how you do it? 
And so what I tell people to do, and if you're one of those people, I, I, I kind of just need something that's stupid simple. Can you just give me something stupid simple? Uh, for me, it's Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, Paul is writing, says, this is, this is what it means to live this new life in faith. Just boom, 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 boom. That's what we did. We just went through that. But the reality is, is that it's all good and great to focus on those things as a, at a retreat that's supposed to be like this Christian utopia greenhouse. But then you come back. <laughs> you got to come back. You got to come back to your life and you got to come back to your world. And one of the biggest areas that we need to come back to are our relationships. How many of you know that our relationships matter? Our relationships make an impact. If we want to be a people, a church that truly cultivates the presence of God and the glory of God, but I'm also just like a dude and I'm just a husband and a father, like how do I do that? How do I cultivate a, a place of the presence of God? It, it, does it, like, is it like a certain amount of time I have to spend in worship and prayer? Like is there something like, what is it? Hear me out on this. One of the, one of the, greatest abilities, the best and strongest abilities that you have to cultivate a home of the presence of God is the way that we live in relationship with one another. Honestly, if we want to say, I want to have a family and kids who love the Lord, then love your wife. Like, if you're a wife and you want, how do I cultivate a home of the presence of God? Love your husband. Because your kids see that. We had a beautiful session with uh, Greg and Max Zukowski, who just talked about a legacy of faith and, and how often the, the influence of our parents and our grandparents have an effect on us into the way that we live out the future. And so what we're going to talk about today uh, with the time that we have is great men always fight. Great men always fight. And again, put this into your own world. Put this in your own world. Great, great women always fight. And so if you're hearing that, <laughs> I've said that before to couples, and they nudge like, I think we're doing pretty good. <laughs> and we fight all the time. I feel free. I think we're doing all right. Pastor John said, love always fights. Great men always fight. We might have a different perspective by the time we get to the end of this. Great men always fight. Another way you can look at it is love always fights. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to this chapter in the New Testament that we might be familiar with, we might not. Uh, if you are familiar with it, it's probably because it's used a lot at weddings. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul is giving this list of characteristics of what love is like. And before we get to that verse, I want you to do something. If you take notes, you can write this down. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, write it down. If you have a phone and you will just open up a note, uh, you can. This is what I want you to do real quickly. I want you to try to picture and imagine the people in your life that you would truly say, I love. I love those people. And be honest, right? Be honest. I'm not expecting you to say, I love everyone. I don't love really everyone. I mean, I love, I mean, I have love for them, I guess. But who are the people at the very top of your list? Like, 
At the end of the day, this is my list of people I just love. These are the people that I love. I want you to imagine their faces. If you have a pen, write down their names. You're not going to hand this in. This isn't like an assignment, but we're going to come back to it. And I want us to be mindful of these people as we go through what Paul is going to talk about when he talks about love. So think about those people. Write down names if it helps. We're only looking at one verse, really, and it's 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Paul says this. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love and your truth. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the, the message that we're given in the very beginning of Genesis is that you created a world that was beautiful and you created a world full of your goodness and you created a world free of guilt and shame and sin and you created man and you put him in that world. But this odd thing that happens is that you create everything in its perfection and yet you were still able to look at man and say something isn't right. In a, in a perfect utopia, you said something's missing. Something isn't right. It wasn't sin. It wasn't a fall. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't shame. It was that he needed relationship. From the very beginning, God, you've created us out of and for relationships. So I pray today that you would just open up our understanding, our perspective to the great influence and impact that those relationships have and our ability to have an impact on those relationships. Teach us how to love well, and teach us how to fight well. In your name, amen. Paul starts it, and he says, these, uh, he says this whole list of characteristics at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, right? He says, love is patient, love is kind, and it does not envy, and it does not boast, and it is not proud. And he's listing all these things, these beautiful characteristics of love. And then he gets to verse 7, and it seems like something's a little bit different. He changes the descriptions just a little bit. He adds a word, right? He says, love always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. He adds a word. What word does he, does he add? Always. Why? We don't know. It doesn't say why Paul adds the word always, but he does. It seems like he's trying to make an effort to distinguish these for some reason or another, not to make less of the other ones or take anything away from the other ones, but he's adding, for whatever reason, this word always to draw special attention to say love always does these things. And we could spend you know, a whole season looking at some of these characteristics. I just want to briefly break down these four and really honestly give us uh, kind of just a a stupid, simple message about how can I live out love in my relationships based on these four things. And for some of us, you might hear these and think, I don't really, that doesn't really impact me. Like, I I think we're doing that pretty well. That's awesome. That's great. One thing we said at the men's retreat is that I never want men, uh, men who are older, and this would go for any, anyone here, right, to think I've kind of, I've kind of gone past my point of influence. I just want to say this to you. Uh, if you've ever felt this way, you are not by any means ever outdated in your ability to influence a younger generation. Ever outdated in your ability to influence a younger generation. The truth of the matter is whether we as millennials, I found out I'm actually a millennial, it really bothered me. 
Oh, it was a terrible day in my life. I figured out I was a millennial by birth date. Um, but the truth is, is that we may never admit that we need you, but we do. We need you. Because you've weathered some of these fights before. You've walked through these seasons before. You have a wealth of information and knowledge that we need to hear from you. We truly do. So if you're thinking to yourself, like, I don't really struggle with any of that, but I kind of feel like I'm past the point of influence, no. I don't know how it works at City Church, so I might just be, like, putting something in here, so I apologize to the whole pastoral staff. But, like, I don't know how marriage counseling or mentoring works, but if you feel like, hey, we do this pretty well, and we have a pretty good relationship, and we've weathered a lot of those storms, maybe just make yourself available. Like, hey, we would love to be a mentoring couple to anyone who's going through difficulty. That is, that is honestly beautiful, right? We would love to be a mentoring couple to any couple who needs uh, some wisdom or is going through something difficult. So that's just a side note, but, but please hear me out. Some of us do need to hear some of these things because it helps us realize, man, uh, I can see the sequence that John is talking about. We're going to look at a sequence of how things can go really well and sometimes how things can get out of control. And I don't know how we got here. I want us to see a pattern. And even though I haven't been a pastor for that long, this is coming from a lot of men who come into my office, wives who come to my office, couples who come to my office, and you start to see things. I'm sure the pastors here could relate. You start to see repetitive things over and over and over again in relationships that start to bring a toxic environment. But you also see relationships who do it really well. So let's dive in. Paul starts with this. Love always protects. Always protects. Uh, you might look at your Bible. It might be a translation of... Uh, uh, covers or bears. Um, the word here, though, for love always protects, interestingly enough, it is the word for a roof. A roof. Like a, a house roof. Love is always a roof. Has anyone here ever had to replace the roof before? Yeah, that's something, huh? Had to do that a couple years ago. That's, that's not cheap. But it goes to prove something, doesn't it? See, the value of what we're putting into our roof, right, correlates with what it accomplishes. It's expensive because of how important it is. What does a roof do? It covers, right? It covers your house. It, it shields your house and everything in it from being exposed. It covers from outside exposure. It covers from outside damage. A roof covers. So when Paul uses the word for roof, this is how I like to think of it. Love always covers from exposure. I want to unpack that just a little bit. What does it look like to always cover from exposure? First, just practical thing is this. It should, probably goes without saying for some of us, so sometimes we need to hear it again. That person, that person on your list, top person on your list, that person isn't perfect. Honest to God, this is where some of us get tripped up the most. You didn't exactly respond the way that I was expecting you to. <laughs> I had an unspoken expectation of how this conversation was going to go, or how this situation was going to go, and you didn't exactly live up to it. Right? I'm not talking about, like, complete perfection. Really what we're talking about is that you didn't really live up to my expectation of you living perfectly in that situation. That person isn't perfect. Why do we have roofs over our houses? 
Why do I put a roof on my house? Because conditions are not always perfect for an open dome house. We should know that all too well in Wisconsin, right? There's either rain, thunderstorms, tornadoes, and hail, or snow and ice. Couple days, there's sunshine. One day, leaves fall. That's about it. That's where we live, right? Because conditions aren't always perfect. Can you imagine that you like select, you find, like you're in the, you're in the place where you can find your perfect piece of land. Oh, I like that. Some people are like, oh, my best place would be like a, like a penthouse apartment downtown. I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> oh, for good heaven's sake, no. I'm talking like 20, 40 acres maybe out in the country somewhere up on a hill surrounded by, by woods and corn and deer. Big deer. <laughs> I can see it. Can you make that a prayer topic for tonight, just John Reiner's? Deer Ranch. Can you imagine having the perfect piece of land, right? And then you, 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 you hire like the perfect architect, just this incredible architect, and you, you hire the perfect interior designer, like, and you just, you lay this perfect foundation, and everything is to your specifications. You're figuring out, oh, I want this wall here, and I want it colored this way, and I want to decorate this way, I want this outside siding, I want these windows here, whatever, whatever, right? And then the architect's like, okay, so what kind of ceiling, what kind of roof do you want? And you're like, oh, no, that's cool. Excuse me? <laughs> Oh, I just want it to look perfect this way, but like I'm not expecting I'm not I'm not expecting any difficult weather. <laughs> you just want you just want a foundation and walls, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but I really want the walls to look this way from the outside, right? Like I want it to look perfect, perfect color, perfect everything. But you can skip the roof. It doesn't work, right? Our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, and our families will always suffer if we assume that the other person is going to always be perfect. They will always suffer. Over and over and over again, they will suffer. And then what happens, right? We see this sequence. I expect that you are always going to react and do the things that I think you should do in every situation and circumstance. Whether I actually expressed it or not, why don't you just know? Right? Well, shouldn't they just know that? No. Especially us guys. I'm sorry. Sometimes we just don't know. Right? We can be really good at lists, but we're not great at mind reading. It's not one of our spiritual gifts. So, so what happens, like we, we have this expectation the other person is going to be perfect and then we're always disappointed and frustrated in the moment. And then that frustration builds up to the sense of just like, ah, why aren't you ever the way I want you to be? Let's be honest, so many of the characteristics that Paul uses at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, assume that things are not going to be great. Why in the world would I have to be patient if you're always doing the things that I want every time I want you to do it exactly how I want you to do it? Patience assumes that things aren't always going to go the way that I want. Right? Of course I'm going to be kind as long as you do everything I want, how I want it, the way you want it. I'll be the kindest person in the world. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. I think that one's pretty well stated. 
right? There's an expectation that things aren't always going to be perfect. So when love is a roof that covers, it is knowingly choosing to love an imperfect person. Knowingly choosing to love an imperfect person. That person on your list, even the top person of your list, isn't perfect. And they'll probably never be perfect. This side of glory coming to earth. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with that? Or will the biggest struggle and biggest tension creator in my relationship be, you're just not the way I want you to be? I'm not going to be perfect. I know this person isn't perfect, but I will cover them and protect them. I will cover and protect their character. I'll cover and protect their reputation. They may not be the, my perfect idea of a spouse, but man, they're my spouse. They may not be my perfect idea of a kid, but man, they're my imperfect kid. There's something different in that. If my expectation is always perfection, I'm always going to be disappointed, always going to be frustrated. It's going to lead to more arguments, more disagreements, more, more tension, more fights, and more toxicity in the relationships and the homes that we create. It starts sometimes with this idea that you are not going to be perfect, but I will cover you and protect you. What does this mean? It doesn't mean I'm naive and ignorant. There, there's a whole spectrum to this, right? And so, so I am not saying, and I hope this goes without saying, but what I'm not saying is that if I'm in a really like abusive, neglective, uh, toxic environment, I'm not saying we'll just keep it hush-hush. That's how I'm saying. I'm talking about for kind of the, the other ideas, those, those little moments every single day, those little things that build up, those little things that we see in our spouse that just aren't the way that we would necessarily do it, but it's not coming from a place of I'm wanting to hurt you, right? Do we understand that? Like, I'm not talking about the keep everything hush-hush and over your roof and protect it and don't talk about it if it's truly a damaging, toxic thing. I'm talking about the everyday little disturbances, the little things that are just kind of like... Uh, you didn't, that's not how I thought you were going to respond. Mm, I saw that going differently in my head. That's what I'm talking about. doesn't mean I turn a blind eye, but what, what it does mean is that out of respect for the person and commitment to the relationship, I'm not going to go about just blasting my spouse's imperfections. I'm not just going to go about blasting the things that annoy me about my kids to everyone to the point where it's degrading their character. Like, I'm going to protect my spouse's character. I'm going to protect my kids' character. I'm going to protect their reputation, right? In the midst of all the chatter that's going on, I'm going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. They may not be a perfect spouse, but they're my perfect spouse, so back off. Right? It's that, like, you want to fight to fight? Fight for your spouse's character. Fight for your spouse's reputation. Because I'm not expecting them to be perfect, but they're mine. And I'm not going to expose all of their weaknesses and all their struggles and all the things that they don't get right the way that I particularly want it. I'm not exposing that to everyone in the world through common conversations over coffee. I'm going to protect and guard my husband's character. I'm going to protect and guard my wife's character and reputation because they are mine. Does that make sense? Love is a roof that covers from exposure. The biggest way I've seen this done with people and, and is, is public communication. So the second aspect of love always protects is simply this. Don't air out their dirty laundry. 
real practical. I can't tell you how many times I have witnessed this in my office. I'll sit down with a couple, I'll hear their story, and not one positive thing about the other person comes up. All it is is they're no good at this, and they can't do this, and they fail at this, and this is what they do, and this is what they do. I can't tell you how many times they said they're going to do this, and they don't do this, and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I just want to, I want to leave their relationship. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I, I go home, and I just look at my wife. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you do? Something. I don't, I don't, I did something, guarantee you that. I don't know what, but I did something, right? Don't air out the dirty laundry. Third thing is simply this, words become things. James says that there's a huge amount of power in our tongue, right? The power of life and death. I have the power to create life in my spouse, to build her up, to encourage her, to draw her greatness out by the words that I choose to use. Wives can do it for husbands. Husbands can do it for their wives. Parents can do it for their kids. But there's a flip side to that as well, right? Is that I can assume that you're always going to be perfect and you're always going to respond the way that I want and you're always going to do it the way that I would think you would do it even if I never spoke those expectations. And when you don't, I get disappointed, I get frustrated, and this weapon comes out. Over and over and over again, some of those same couples will sit in my office, and maybe you've been here, maybe you are here. We don't realize the power of our words. And I've had couples where maybe it was a husband, maybe it was a wife, but they cut down their spouse over and over and over again, right here, sitting in front of me, just cutting them down, cutting them down. And I can see that this isn't the first time, right? They'll walk in, and maybe it's the husband who just sits in my office with his head down on the ground. Sometimes it's a wife who comes in, and she's just in tears, doesn't even want to look up. To use the, a husband example, it's a, uh, there's been husbands who sit in my office with their wife sitting right there, right? And it's like one day they were just surprised. One day I was just surprised. She's not She's not the woman I married anymore, right? She's not as strong as she used to be. She's not as confident as she used to be. She doesn't carry herself the way that she used to be. She's not as ambitious as she used to be. She's not as fun as she used to be. And they, they ask me, well, what happened to her? And I say, you happened to her. <laughs> you happened to her. I've listened to you for a half hour. I feel terrible about myself. You happened to her. I said that once in a different church service somewhere else. A woman yelled, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk later, right? <laughs> Same way, though, for, for I've seen it the other way where a guy comes in, he's just hanging his head. And a wife says a similar thing. He used to be strong, he used to be confident, he used to lead. What happened? You cut him down. Your words became things. What you said over and over and over again, he started to now reflect. He started to become all the words that you said about him. No, he's not strong. No, he's not a leader. No, he's not adventurous. No, he's not ambitious. No, he's not confident. He's borderline neutered. <laughs> and he's just sitting there like a sad puppy. What happened to my husband? You happened to your husband. 
That sounds so harsh, but sometimes we need to hear it. Our words become things. So first of all, oh boy, first of all, love always protects. Second thing is this, love always trusts. To trust is to believe the best about that person, not the worst. This can be hard to do, right? Because we often evaluate people based on previous experiences, and sometimes our previous experiences individually are rather difficult. The amount of relationships in the past that didn't go well sometimes bleed into the one that's truly trying to survive. Sometimes our perspective of love in another individual has affected us to the point where we bring that into the relationship and we put it, we project it on the one person who's actually trying to love us really well. Trust can be difficult. I think what Paul is saying is that if I'm choosing to love this person, then I'm choosing to believe the best in their qualities that this person has to offer. And I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt in this situation. We're not always going to agree. I'm not just assuming the worst of them and the worst of their words and their actions and their motives, right? This happens a lot in conversations. Sometimes we approach conversations and we just automatically think they're trying to get something from me. They're going to hurt me. They're going to wound me. And before the conversation even takes place, it's almost like we already know how it's going to go in our heads, right? Hey, honey, you think so. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> right. Oh, you look beautiful. What do you want? I don't... <laughs> you just want sex. <laughs> I never said... Are you offering or like... <laughs> I didn't say that, but if that's on the table, then okay. <laughs> it's like we automatically just know. How many of us, you never prepare for a conversation that you think is going to go right? We, we hardly ever, I should say, we hardly ever prepare for a conversation that we think is going to go the way that we want it to. Instead, we always create the alternatives, right? When it doesn't go well, I have plan A, B, C, D to still get about to what I'm trying to get. I'm going to say this, they're going to respond this way, this will be my counter to their response, this will be their rebuttal, this will be how I will give them an ultimatum, and this is how they will respond, and I will be on the couch. <laughs> but let's just give it a go. Instead, love always trusts, it means I'm willing to believe the best about you before passing a verdict. Second element about love always trusts, I believe the best about you, and the best of your qualities in the situation, and I'm going to hear out the story before passing a verdict. Paul says love always trusts. The word for trust here is often associated with legal proceedings, to be honest. So love always trusts means the person is innocent until proven guilty. The person's innocent until proven guilty. When there isn't an element of trust in our relationships, right, it's almost like every conversation goes to the point of you're guilty, now prove that you're innocent. I already have my idea, right? I already have my stance on this. Do your best to try to prove me otherwise. And we always have to be in this defensive place. And I always have to prove that I'm not out to hurt you. I always have to prove that I'm not always trying to get something from you. We can be so reactionary at times. I don't really want to hear your explanation for why you didn't come through this time. It can be something small as, oh, I was late. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear your story. I don't want to hear your explanation. Sometimes that's compounded, right? Sometimes it's like, well, this is about the 23rd time, right? So maybe we have to have a better conversation here. 
Sometimes it just comes from a place of, I'm not sure that I think the best. Because what's our progression? If I expect you to be perfect, or at least my expectation of perfect, my unspoken expectations of what perfect in my head looks like for you to carry out in every single situation and conversation, and it doesn't live up to that, which it hardly ever, if ever, will, right? You didn't actually come through in the way that I thought was perfect, so now I'm disappointed and I'm a little frustrated. And because I'm coming from a place of frustration and disappointment, now in the future, I actually don't believe the best of you in the future. Future, I'm just trusting you're actually going to fall through again. I expect you to be perfect. You weren't perfect. So now I'm going to start expecting in the future that you won't be perfect and you won't show up. The alternative is our ability to say, I trust you in this situation until the evidence of the situation proves otherwise. I'm not expecting you to be perfect. I know you're not going to be perfect, but you're my imperfect. You're not going to be perfect, but you're my imperfect. And so in any given situation or conversation, I'm going to have the courage to trust in your best attributes and your best version of you. And I'm going to use my words to draw out the best version of you. I'm going to use my words to create and help you see the best version of you rather than using my words to cut you down to just be what I think you already are, which is an imperfect version of you. Love always trusts. Quickly, love always hopes. This is a big characteristic of love. We're not going to spend that much time on it. Hope believes beyond the situation. That's what hope does. It believes beyond the situation. Let's run through our progression so far. I, I, can, I think we'll see how hope plays a part. If we expect the people we love to be perfect, right, and then they don't live up to that standard of perfection, I'll most likely become disappointed. That disappointment often leads to frustration. That frustration will cause us to not protect them, to not cover them, to not bear with them, to not be a roof over them. And the more frustrated and disappointed sometimes we get with people not meeting our expectations, expectations of perfect, the less we choose to protect them, and the more likely we are to not believe the best about them in future situations, but instead we kind of believe that they're not going to show up, and we start to believe the worst about them, and if we stop believing the best about them, then we, we start expecting the worst out of them, and if I expect the worst out of them, then any conversation or argument for some of us can just be a wall. I'm not sure it's going to get better. I'm not sure we can make it past this. I don't know how this is going to go. Because if I only, if, if I primarily see the negative of that person, and that negativity brings me to a place of not trusting them, then why would I hope that we're going to get through this situation? Why am I going to hope that we'll get through this argument? Why, why would I hope that we're going to get through this moment of tension if in the back of my head, I don't believe that much better about them to begin with, what is there to hope in? The alternative, right, is that I know the person that I love isn't going to be perfect. And even though it, it's hard at times, I don't hold them to an unrealistic level of expectation, right? And, and so when they, when they, uh, when they don't uh, come through the way that I think they're going to or the, the way that I didn't really vocalize an expectation for them, right? They don't always act the right way or respond the right way. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to bear with them. And by protecting them and their character and their reputation, I'm choosing to believe the best about them and not the worst. And the more I believe the best about them and use my words to draw the best out of them and not the worst out of them, I start to actually expect and believe that the best of their qualities will come through that situation that's 
content because I have that trust and that hope and that belief in them. We're going to get through this. I know we're going to get through this because I believe in you. It's not we're going to get through this because I believe in my own ability to fix this situation. We're going to get through this because I believe in you. I believe in us. I believe that there's hope beyond this argument in this situation because I'm choosing to believe the best. And some of us might think, well, that's good and great. Some of our situations are different than others. So I want you to hear this. If you're in that place where it's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, but I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know this time. I don't know. If you're in that place where it's like, in that moment, I just don't know. I don't know if this is done. I don't know if this is it. I don't know if this is over. I don't know if this is going to be the one thing that, that pulls our marriage apart. I don't know if this is going to be the one thing that just splits our family. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, right? But if you're in a place that you can say, I don't know if we can come back from this, but I want to. It seems impossible to recover from this, but I want to. All the signs are saying that we may not make it. I don't know how, but I want to. It will probably be hard, but I want to. I truly want us to hear this, church, that I want to, that littlest, smallest amount of I want to is hope. That's hope. I don't know what this is going to take. I don't know how hard it's going to be. One thing we said at the men's retreat is that we don't fight the fights that we fight for a guaranteed outcome. I'm not going to invest in this unless I know that I know that I know it's going to turn out the way that I want. Otherwise, I'm not showing up. I'm not having the conversations. I'm not doing the counseling. I'm not looking at my time management. I'm not doing all those things unless I know that I know that I know that if I do A, B, and C, I'm going to get the outcome that I want. That's not why we fight the fights that we fight in our life. We fight the fights that we fight in our life for the honor and sake of fighting the fight. I don't know if doing all of these things and investing all of my time and really evaluating my lifestyle is going to save my marriage, but I want it to. And so I'm going to fight this fight. What's it going to take? What do I need to do? It might mean open conversations. Let's do it. I want to. I don't know if it's going to fix it, but I want to. It might mean counseling. Okay, that sounds terrible. (laughs) But I want to. Whatever it's going to take, I want to. That want to is hope, and that want to is often enough to keep the fight going. Got to quickly get through this last one. Love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. When I was studying and researching these terms, it was really exciting and fun to do it. And what I found about this word perseveres is that it was actually often used in a military context. Persevere. The imagery that one uh, biblical scholar has for this word is this. Imagine this commanding officer talking to his troops, and he says this, dig deep, dig down deep, stand your ground, never retreat, never surrender, and if necessary, die with honor. Persevere. That's intense. Apply that to a marriage. It's difficult, challenging, inspiring, and funny. 
It's as if like the great commander of our lives is saying to us husbands and us wives, dig deep and stand your ground and never retreat from your relationship and never retreat from your marriage and never surrender the fight. Always do everything you can in your ability to do whatever you can in your strength to fight for your marriage and if necessary, die with honor. That's the sentiment of persevere. It's as if Paul is saying in this message, at the end of all these characteristics of love, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, love always protects and always trusts and always hopes. After all these things, remember, stand your ground. Stand your ground in your marriage. Show up. Don't hide away. Don't pull back. Don't disconnect. Don't isolate yourself. Stand your ground. Dig deep. Never retreat and never surrender. And if necessary, die with honor because this is love. Put into our progression. If I expect a person on my list to be perfect and they aren't, I'm most likely going to be disappointed and frustrated. That disappointment leads to an ongoing frustration in future situations. That frustration can cause us to not really believe the best about that person. And rather, I start to just assume the worst about them in conversations. And the more I think the worst about that person and not the best, the more I'm going to start to expect in the future that they're not going to bring their A game. And the more we expect the worst of them, the more likely we are to believe that things won't get better, and I start to lose my hope. And if I do nothing, if I do nothing, if I just cut away, if I just pull away, if I just isolate myself and I'm no longer communicating, I start building up walls, if I do nothing to repair the trust and hope in my relationship, the less likely I really am to stand my ground and to fight and to persevere, because in my heart, the fight is already over. But what do we want to aspire to? to be men of greatness and women of greatness, to be husbands and wives of greatness. And maybe you're single and you're like, this whole message doesn't seem to apply to me. Oh, it does. Learn these things now to bring them into your marriage and your families, right? What do we aspire to? We choose to understand the person isn't perfect. They aren't going to be perfect. But knowing they aren't going to be perfect, I choose to protect them because they may not be the perfect spouse, but... They are my spouse. They may not be a perfect kid, but man, they are my kid. And I choose to protect them because I believe in them and I believe the best about them and I believe I have words that can bring out greatness in them. And the more I believe the best about them, the more I expect the best with them in the future and not always assume the worst. And the more I expect the best with them and I use my words to draw the best out of them, uh, the more likely I am to have hope in whatever conversation or difficulty or tension we may be facing at that time. And because I have that hope that we will get through the situation together, I am much more likely to fight and to stand my ground and to not give up and to dig deep because love always perseveres. One thing we need to communicate is I'm in this for the long haul. We can't go into that too much. The second thing we need to communicate to some of our spouses or our kids is I'm going to fight for this. Guys, I can tell you from experience with meeting with a lot of couples, some wives, the greatest desire of their heart is simply to hear their husband say, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm going to fight for this. Whatever it might take, I'm in this for the long haul. But there's also the other side of it that I've seen experienced. Sometimes it's the guy 
who's saying, if she would just let me know that we're not done, if she would just let me know that we're in this together, if she would just let me know that we're in this for the long haul, then I would know. Sometimes it's just the ability to communicate that with the people that we love. See, it makes sense then, the way that Paul ends this chapter. This end of, uh, this, this list of characteristics ends in the next verse. We don't have it up here. Paul says, love never fails. How can love never fail? Because we see the sequence. I don't expect that you are going to be perfect, but you're my spouse. I don't expect my kids to be perfect, but they're my kids. I'm not going to expect them to be perfect. And so because of that, I'm not constantly going to be frustrated and disappointed when things don't go the way that I want. And because of that, I'm going to learn to see the best in my spouse. I'm going to learn to see the best in the people that I have relationships with. I'm going to believe the best, and I'm going to hope for the best in future situations that it's not all hopeless. And because I see that, I'm going to use my words to bring out greatness out of them. Husbands, we need to bring greatness out of our wives. Wives, we need to speak greatness out of our husbands. And the more that we do that, the more that we vocalize that the more that we start to see the best characteristics of them and we believe the best in them in future situations and we have hope that we're going to get through this and if we can do that then we can dig down deep and trust in the person that we're with and if we dig down deep and if we fight love cannot fail if we're both in this together how does love never fail because love always fights it always fights would you stand with me? If you're standing next to one of the people on your list, I'm not going to tell you both to do this, but this is my challenge to you. I want to pray for, for spouses really quick. We need to wrap this up. I'm going to pray for spouses really quick. But if you're standing next to a spouse, this is my challenge to you. I'm going to pray for you. But my challenge to you, it doesn't mean that you have a horrible situation you're trying to rebound. Sometimes it's like, no, things are good, but I just want to communicate this to you. If this is your challenge and this is your response, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'm in this. I'm in this. I'm going to fight. Love is always going to fight. Great men are always going to fight. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my families. I'm going to show up. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to face some of the things that I may need to change and some of the things I may need to give up and some of the ways I need to focus. If that is your challenge, this is my, if, that, if that's your response, this is my challenge to you as we pray. If you're standing next to your spouse, I'm going to ask you to simply reach over and grab their hand as we pray. Some spouses just need to hear that, just need to feel that. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your mercy, your grace, and love, your truth. I thank you for the relationships that you create. God, I ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to apply your words that love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Bring restoration and reconciliation to relationships that need it. Give inspiration and encouragement to the ones that need it. God, that this would be a place that not only cultivates the presence of the Holy Spirit, but lives it out in the midst of everyday relationships. I pray for the marriages of this church and the families of this church, that they in and of themselves would glorify you and reflect your presence. I thank you for the work that you're going to do in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, in your name, amen.